and welcome to the Kane and Rinse podcast. This is volume 8, issue 384 on Superhot. I am James Carter, and joining me are Jacob Geller. Hello. And John Salmon. Hello. Just a three-wheeler, but the three J's. Three of the J's, I should say. We're not the only three J's on Kane and Rinse. So we're talking about Superhot today. This is more than one game, as will become apparent as we talk. Uh, but for the initial part of this discussion, we're going to be focusing on the game that is solely called Superhot, and that's it. It was developed by Superhot Team and published by them as well, I think, in all places. Its director, apologies for pronunciations on all of these names. They are Polish names. I am not good on the pronunciation. I'm going to go with how I think they should be pronounced and just stick an apology right at the beginning of, of this if I get any of these wrong. So, director of the game, Piotr Ivanicki, programmers, Christoph Tratch and Jakub Witzak, uh, artists, Marcin Surma, Konrad Katja, writer, Cesari Skorupka, composer, Karl Floden. Uh, it's a fairly small team, so I don't really want to mention one individual without mentioning others. These are the names that are kind of credited on Wikipedia. Uh, as being involved with the game, so I figured it made sense to kind of mention everyone. Now, the game's development's kind of interesting in that there was an original prototype made in, I think, August that was then released September 2013. So quite a while ago now. Um, but that then spawned a full PC, Mac, and Linux release in February 2016. It then came to Xbox One May 2016. PS4 release was, uh, I think in this case, both PSVR and the this game on PS4 came out 21st of July 2017, and as recently as time of recording six days ago, this game came to Switch, Nintendo Switch, on 19th of August 2019. The game reviewed pretty darn well. Game, game Rankings has the highest average review for this on PC at 83.44%, and the lowest being the Switch version with a smack bang on 80%. I didn't check how many reviews that is, but when an average comes out at a really round number like that, I tend to assume that there's only kind of one or two reviews on there at the moment, which for the Switch release makes sense being so recent. Uh, sales for this game are really tough to tie down. Um, I do have figures for the VR version, and I do have figures for the series overall, but it's not as simple as subtracting one for the other, from the other. Uh, so we'll talk about that a little bit when we get to the VR um, version of this game. Series sales overall for Superhot are 2 million copies. Um, that was from an article by Charles Singletary in Forbes from May 2019. So relatively up-to-date sales figures, but as always with digital games, kind of difficult to get a handle on exactly how many copies have been sold. So all of those facts and figures, this game came from um, a, a, an original prototype that was made as part of what is an annual uh, event called the 7-Day FPS Challenge by... Piotr Ivanicki and Blue Brick. I didn't notice them in the credits, so I'm assuming that was a group that are either no longer involved with the game or contains individuals that were mentioned previously and kind of all came together under Superhot Team. Um, that was made... So the date I have for the 7-day FPS challenge in 2013 was the 10th to the 17th of August. So we're talking almost exactly six years ago. Um, and as I say, 
13th of September was kind of when I started seeing people talking about the prototype being put out as a free kind of demo for the game. So that was September 2013, right after this prototype was put together within seven days. It was put out for people to play and put onto Greenlight. And then by May 2014, there was a Kickstarter launched and it wrapped in June 2014 with a, an estimated delivery date, so a target release date of June 2015. Uh, and they raised $250,798 from a target of $100,000. So there we go. That's where kind of this game came from. Uh, as I mentioned, the Kickstarter had an estimated delivery of June 2015. That was missed by, I guess, like eight or nine months. It ended up coming up February um, the following year. Again, relative to other Kickstarters for video games, that's actually pretty good. I think it's fair to say. Okay, that's the preamble out the way. Let's get to talking about the game. I'm going to say now, spoiler warning, um, the narrative of this game, as we'll hear from correspondents, kind of... It will vary as to how much it me makes a difference for your enjoyment of the game, but I think it's worth, given the game's a couple of hours long, if you're interested in playing it, go and play it, come back. We're going to talk about the story and there are some significant beats in there. Um, so let's get to our history. We've heard about the game's history. Let's get to ours. Uh, Jacob, would you like to kick us off, please? Yeah, so I definitely remember seeing trailers for this very mm. early because you kind of can't mistake the trailer for anything else it's no, not you know sure. it's not like it's just one of a handful of shooters you know it's got a loud voice chanting super hot and it is incredibly white and you know it it makes itself very distinctive right off the bat um sure. but i didn't pick it up on release i think because many of the reviews said it's great it's really fun but it's really short and yeah. and it was I think, I don't know, $20, $30 when it first came out. And I just yeah. kind of wasn't in a place that I could do that. Um, but at, at some point, it actually released as a free game on Twitch, like through Amazon. And oh, so yeah. that's where that's where I got it. And that's where I have, you know, played it on, on PC for most of the time. Mm. And that was probably uh, a year and a half ago or so. Okay, um, really recently then. Yeah, so I've been I've been aware of it for a long time, but didn't actually get around to it, mm. even though I kind of like I knew the concept of like, you know, I knew the time only moves when you move, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, forever. But yeah, just got around to it fairly recently, but then have revisited pretty, pretty frequently up until mm -hmm. now. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, and John. Mm, um, I've. I'm struggling a little bit with this because mm. I can't remember exactly when I first played Superhot. I mean, I remember it coming out mm. in early 2016. I remember seeing all the trailers and the footage of it and hearing uh, it, one of those things where it seemed like it, it felt like it came out of nowhere, but suddenly, you know, it was being covered from, you know, the biggest sort of industry podcast talking about it down to, you know, the sort of our group of friends and stuff. Uh, running small podcasts here talking about it and I, I kept sort of being bombarded hearing about it hearing about it and I'm pretty sure I didn't play it that early on yeah um because I'm pretty certain the first version of it that I played was on the PS4 which sets it at what well over a year uh, even nearly 18 months after it was originally released and 
I, I again can't be certain about it, but I think the first time I played it might have been on the PSVR version when that released um, round at Tony's house because he had a PSVR mm. probably a year before, well, easily a year before I did. I think he got one at round launch. And I I very much remember playing this at his. Um, and then I think, I think we played through maybe half of it in VR. And then I picked picked it up on the PS4. I can't remember exactly when I bought it or if it was on may or may not have been on PS plus. It may have just yeah. come up in a, in a cheap deal, but um, looking at my uh, trophies on it earlier, it looks like the first time I actually played my own version of it was just after Christmas in 2017. And I, I got memories of a couple of days where I kind of sat down and I was like, right, I've got all these PS four games that have been sort of stacking up mostly um things that were either ps plus or in very very cheap sales and i think i had two or three days just before i went away on holiday yeah, yeah. where i just i like played through or played about 20 of these games just sort of little hour two hour sessions on yeah, each yeah. of them just you know feeling like i'm actually trying to get some some benefit out of this <laughs> ps plus subscription uh, so i remember playing it and apparently i didn't complete it at that point um, but I remember getting probably three quarters of the way through. Um, and then I've I've just mopped up, well, in the last few weeks on both the regular version and the PSVR version. Excellent. So from my point of view, I've um, just done some sneaky checking. Um, and I played this in July 2016, having bought it in late June 2016. So I didn't pick it up right at release. Those dates make me think maybe it popped up in a Steam sale at that point. Steam summer sale might have been late June, it's possible. Um, but I, I do remember hearing about this game back in, it probably was 2013, I guess. I'd heard about the prototype and I didn't end up backing, backing it on Kickstarter, obviously. Um, but I was definitely aware of it to the point where I picked it up the year of release, if not right at. I'm not sure why I didn't pick it up at release, in all honesty. Because it was a game that, uh, exactly as you say, Jacob, it was very striking, and I'd heard enough good things about it from people who made it sound, you know, really interesting. And I defy anyone to hear what this game is and not think it sounds interesting. Actually, <laughs> having said that, um, but but yeah, I I don't know why I didn't pick it up till then. I didn't actually pick it up until after it had already come out on Xbox One. I have the Xbox One version because that's been on Games with Gold. Um, but I played it on Steam first time around and played and finished it in the same day, so essentially single sitting. As mentioned, it is short. Probably that first playthrough is going to take a couple of hours for most people, I think, because you're kind of learning the mechanics and not really sure how to... There's techniques to kind of fudge when <laughs> when you might be in a bad spot, um, which we'll get onto, but uh, I think that first playthrough is likely to be you know, in the two-hour region, but uh, since then, uh, so this week I went back and uh, I hadn't touched the Xbox One version, so I played that. But before that, I, I do have it on PSVR, so I, I popped that on and, and played that. Although we'll get on to how the VR game is actually quite different in some ways to to this main game. Um, yeah, I do. I do also want to. I forgot to mention that I have it yeah. on Oculus, so I think sure. we've all played it on, on all played VR, VR as well. well. We'll get on to talking about that as a separate entity. So for now, we are just talking the the sort of main, the original, if you like, game, although not the the prototype. I know 
Ryan likes us to kind of cover what kind of genre the game is. I Time is a factor in every single game. Time moves linearly. But where you can in some way control or manipulate time, I think it's I think calling this a 4D first-person shooter kind of works in that time being that fourth dimension, you have an ability to manipulate it to a certain extent. So I think that as a kind of summary for what this game is does kind of work. Essentially, you're playing a first-person shooter, but the gimmick, if you like, or if it was to be encapsulated as it is in the game, time only moves when you move. So that's kind of the posited, uh, I guess, unique selling point of this game and what certainly makes it different. And that gives uh, this game, I think it's fair to say, a bit of a puzzle aspect in that the order enemies are coming at you and when they're going to be attacking you and with what does create, in the same way that a first-person shooter would, it gives you a priority with which you want to be able to tackle the, the enemies that are in front of you. And it does give it, because of how specific the mechanics are, it gives a, a puzzle-like aspect to it. Yeah, you know, it's not quite... I had heard some descriptions of it as almost like a like a first-person RTS or something, or, or not real-time, like a, you know, first-person complete yeah, yeah. strategy game. Yeah, yeah. And I think that undersells a little that it is still pretty reflex-based. Like... You you still have to kind of be doing some pretty complicated things with your movement and aiming yeah. and whatever, and that's that's not to its detriment. I think that makes it really fun to play, but it's um, it's not like XCOM in first person. You know, it's not it's not turn based, even though the description kind of makes it sound like that. It kind of feels like it is a lot of the time with the way that the guns function as well. At like the that time between. Um between being able to fire off two bullets like you can't just stand still and shoot you've also got to be moving yeah, to, right you know to get your i guess to get like the chamber of the gun to to roll background yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. so this it reminded me a little bit i know it's a it's a really weird pull but um there was a a doom rpg that i remember playing on my phone mm-hmm. probably 15 years ago and that kind of it was i mean it was essentially doom but you could see it was kind of jerky movement and you could see like all the enemies and stuff taking their turns at the same time. And this in a very weird way kind of reminded me of that in that you're watching what everything else is doing almost as much as you're watching what you're, you know, what your own character is doing. And it's, there's almost um, an anxiety of you're kind of standing there sort of making slight movements, waiting for the enemy to get close enough to you that you can grab the gun out of their hand mm. and shoot back at them. It's something that I've never had to think about in a first-person <laughs> shooter so yeah. much, but it's it's a really weird thing to try and wrap my head around how to actually describe it. Yeah, I know, but, I know what you, you mean, and I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head there. If it was turn-based, when it was your turn, you would only have to worry about what you're doing and what you saw the enemy previously do, whereas the difference here is once you start moving, essentially when you start taking your turn, that's actually when you have to pay attention to what the enemy's doing. So it's not this turnabout kind of thing. You can stop moving, and that will almost freeze all the other action from happening. It does continue very slowly, but um, it's actually like you're having... Everyone's taking their turns at the same time, um, and you just have the ability to to pause and take stock of that 
when it suits you. So yeah, turn based doesn't really do it for me either. Um, I, as I always do, and I'm, I can't help myself from doing it, but I know that defining video games by comparison to other video games or other media isn't always the most helpful thing. But I did actually quite like the the um, one of the articles that I read actually from Kotaku Australia. Um, around the time of the prototype being released back in 2013 by Mark Serrells. Um, he referred to this as Braid with Guns, and that makes more sense to me than the notion of being turn-based. Um, that's not to say the aesthetic of Braid and the narrative side of Braid or anything, just the notion that in some of the Braid levels where when you move in one direction, time moves forward, when you move in the other direction, it moves back. That kind of playing with time where it's tying time into your pre-existing understanding of a genre's mechanics um, in a way that just changes some of the ways of how you play it. So yeah, it's. I think it is a difficult game to kind of sum up in a genre. There's no doubt it's a first-person shooter. All of the, the language we have for interacting with first-person shooters, you're going to be using a lot of that here. But the the way you, you play it is going to change uh, quite a bit. In some ways, it's a very a very rudimentary first-person shooter mm -hmm. because you don't really have to think about... You don't have to consider enemy behaviour in that what if they're going to flank or, you know, change weapons or, you know, throw grenades or do all of the other things that you get out of mm. every other first-person shooter. It's more... It's almost like a shooting gallery with moving targets as much as you know, actively, uh, you know, trying to puzzle your way around a, yeah. an intelligent AI. Yeah. I mean, generally the enemies here just sort of charge towards you. And if they've got guns, they'll do so while shooting. Yeah. yeah. But there's very little um, what seems like sort of intelligent enemy design of taking cover or, you know, even, even occasionally I'd see them try and go round a pillar and then obviously decide to go back the other way and it would look like they were look like they're flanking almost for or, a few yeah, seconds yeah. trying to do so but i think you know they've almost just got like a, a bead to which is the most direct route to get towards you and they've got yeah. no um like no care for their own lives or the lives of their their compatriots or anything i mean they'll kill the other enemies if they get in the way oh yeah you know, i've seen sure. them yeah, shoot yeah, each yeah. other multiple times so it's it's in some ways, yeah, it reminds me more of like, uh, I guess, like a target, um, sort of target gallery, or um, yeah, yeah. I think I think what what you're kind of like when we start talking about like the mechanics that aren't the time part of it, it like you know, time only moves when you move might be a gimmick, and that it's kind of like an interesting conceit, but like yeah. the rest of the game doesn't function without that you know like it's not like you can sure. just kind of like slap that idea on a pre-existing no. first person shooter and they clearly haven't because if you yeah. took that out then this game would be one unplayable because of like how difficult it would be but also just like boring you know like like yeah. it's yeah in a standard first person shooter it's not interesting if the enemies just run at you and all of the guns just kind of like have two shots and then you throw them away and whatever so like every decision here has been made leading back to the fact this kind of central pillar of time dilation yeah, sure. so yeah no i absolutely agree agree this is not a, a gimmick slapped on so yeah when i refer to it as a gimmick it's definitely not supposed to be in any way disparaging it's just that that's the core conceit of the game and 
what we would think of as the first-person shooter is kind of what's built around that almost, I think. So the the scenario of this game is that, and it will be, I think, familiar to people who were kids or growing up in the 90s and would get games and then get crack ES, EXE files to be able to play them without owning a legal copy. Um, I'm not saying I did that. I'm saying it did seem quite familiar to me. Um, and and that's the conceit of this game is there's a, what is in effect an IRC chat program uh, running and you're interfacing with the game through what is clearly a CRT screen. Um, and the conceit is you've received this game that you are playing and it becomes apparent that you are playing it illicitly, I guess, um, and other people are also trying to play it and the game maybe doesn't want you to. Um, so that's kind of the core conceit of this game, in, in addition to the sort of uh, the gameplay that we've talked about so far. Uh, that, for me, was quite familiar because I grew up having a computer where I often had to interface with a DOS prompt in the 90s. Um, how about you guys? Was that something that was presumably instantly recognizable to you? Well, being being the, <laughs> the baby of Kane and Rins, um, I, I certainly never used a computer that that had, you know, this kind of interface other than maybe mm. at like my local library or something where things tend yeah, to run, sure, yeah. you know, 20 years behind. Um, sure. But, you know, I have seen enough like 80s hacker movies or whatever sure, that it was yeah. still pretty recognizable where it's like I don't. I don't know it from experience, but I know kind of like its place in culture of like this this grungy era of computing where you were kind of like looking at the guts of everything. Um, so, yeah, I, I, you know, I felt like I was still able to kind of like get the purpose of it. I'm not afraid to admit that I was something of a, a bad computer user <laughs> in the late uh, late 90s and early 2000s. And I, I definitely... Um, definitely ran my share of cracked programs yeah, and yeah. you know borrowed discs from the library and uh, and downloaded uh, cracks for them and yeah. that sort of thing so it was it seemed very familiar to me and also the um, as you say the uh, like MSN AOL messenger style chat window that's going on between yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I guess they're characters the uh, the two friends in question but the the other thing that it reminded me very heavily of is uh, it's it's like the setup for one of the um, sort of internet horror stories, those creepypasta stories about I borrowed this game cartridge from my friend yeah, and it totally. was haunted and sure. all of that yeah. weird stuff that yeah. goes around it. It seemed very like that, especially as you go further and further into the game and you, I, I believe your character gets sucked into the game at some point about halfway through. <laughs> so it, it heavily reminded me of those horror stories. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, one of the things that I listed was kind of Ringu as kind of a catch-all example of that invasive technology coming out from wherever you usually interact with it and targeting you, the player, you, the protagonist, um, to be essentially taken over or, you know, in the case of Ringu, it's, you know, very simply, you watch this video, you will die, etc. Uh, but that that's kind of been a f sort of staple amongst different horror um, films and mediums for, or different horror types of horror for for a long time. That just happened to be the one that sprung to mind. Yeah, so that's that's the premise of the game. 
but let's get into, we've talked a bit about the way it looks. I think it's worth focusing on that because that is going to be, as Jacob, you said, the most striking thing about the game that people first encounter, I think. So from our forum, first one we're going to hear from is Nick's Blaster, who says, I initially became interested in Superhot after watching Super Best Friends play a portion of the story mode on their YouTube channel and seeing how much fun they had figuring out how to survive each level. I thought that the visual style looked really cool, almost like an extremely minimalist and barebones mirror's edge, but it was the gameplay that caught my eye with how stylish things were as you moved from one enemy to the next and cracked their skulls. Ultimately though, I forgot about it until a few weeks ago when I saw it on sale and snatched it up. Jacob, you'll probably be very well qualified to talk about the Mirror's Edge comparison. <laughs> yes. But yeah, yeah I, I certainly white had and that red. today as well. Mm. And like the cityscapes, building tops and offices and things, all mostly in white with important yeah. things in colour. Right. Kind of kind of intentionally soulless. Like, you know, For sure, we've, yeah, yeah. we've put this all the same because nothing really matters here. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's a really appropriate comparison uh, from Nick's Blaster. Uh, it's an interesting interesting point was something i noticed just looking through the trophies and the achievements um apparently there's collectibles in here somewhere uh apparently there's a collectible in every single level of the the main game and i have no idea what they actually are whether they're you know little <laughs> computer terminals or briefcases or whatever they are they're clearly um you know that well, well hidden in the environment we'll get to you've hit on exactly what they are but we'll come come back to, to that a little bit later on but yeah i did not know until researching for this game that those were in there had i stumbled onto one i'm not sure i would have known it was a secret to be found in the game be, because this game kind of trades in part of the aesthetic is a game that is in development and is buggy and is going to glitch on you and break on you, the secrets kind of feed into that side of it. Yeah, one of the things that I really like about the the style is you have you have this you know like in just just could not be more clean white yeah. and red and and the enemies have these like really you know almost jewel like you know yeah, they're they're yeah. very kind of like tessellated but then they've got this like reflection on them you know it's like it's a very simple style done really well and all of that is so effective and then when you're kicked back to the menu it's so ugly and yeah. chunky and like like it's this great contrast of like you know the the plot is is you just want to keep playing the game i guess but you can see why because it's like if the real world is this computer terminal then it sucks and and like yeah. super hot is so much more interesting and appealing to be in um and and not to get too far ahead of ourselves but the vr one does this again where you're like you're in a grungy apartment and then and then you kind of like go into the game and it's beautiful and clean and so it's a really nice like contrast that they line up interestingly in this case you you never see the actual environment that you the player are sitting in um but but yeah it's a crt screen and you are playing this, so it, it does give the effect of oftentimes when you see that kind of retro future tech, it's in like immediately springs to my mind is something like Alien or something like 2001 a Space Odyssey, where that's not necessarily the real world isn't somewhere you necessarily want to be. Um, there are 
there are horrible things happening there. And in this case, immediately having that CRT screen, I'm not given any indication that the real world is not somewhere that's necessarily great to inhabit, but it immediately puts me in mind of something like that. In, if you see what I mean, tonally, that, yeah, you maybe kind of, oh, in my case, I maybe kind of projected on why someone would want to escape into the world of Superhot, even once you start perhaps realizing that what you're doing in game isn't entirely fictional. So yeah, uh, also on the the kind of visuals, uh, we have another post on the forum from Superuser who says, the minimalism of the game carries over into the simple Bauhaus-inspired aesthetic. Though it has a strong touch of the bizarre to it, particularly if you go after the secrets, this much should be apparent from your first death, whereupon you glitch through the world as your body is blown apart. In any other game, this would be classified as a bug, but in Superhot, it totally fits with the theme and never never fails to look cool. Uh, yeah, and, and that goes to uh, the way that enemies kind of break apart when you shoot them. It works as a as a signifier, you know, an aesthetic for showing that you have hit a character but it also looks like their character is is crumbling in that way it's breaking down within the game to to touch on something you said jacob about the the way that you transition between the sort of crt screen and the world um is that the it builds up from something that will look quite familiar to anyone who played games of the kind of home computer 1980s uh, era where it's something that is it almost goes from ASCII art and builds up in complexity to the point where it's kind of rushing you through this tunnel to get you into what is going to be the game world I think that's handled really nicely despite the fact obviously as you mentioned the effects and the clean lines and the fidelity in Superhot are not ever something you would have played on a screen like the one that you start off interfacing with the menus through uh, but I think that transition is actually done pretty well. Yeah, and they do some really cool things with it as well, where where sometimes it'll kind of, it'll break or you'll almost be like controlling it and you're looking around what feels like kind of the abstracted inside of a computer where mm. everything is these like symbols and whatever. But it's it's very interesting how they do, you know, it reminds me of just like, what hacking in movies looks like which is not at all related to hacking in real life but this kind of just like sure. there's a whole world in your computer and it's filled with ones and zeros you know yeah, like yeah. that that sort of just kind of like detachment from reality so yeah in terms of the the missions of the game they're all linked together in this kind of crime caper style the very often at the beginning of one level you'll be able to see off another area that you might not be able to necessarily reach or go to uh, where you came from. You'll get the impression, uh, this is more so in the VR uh, version of the game, but also in the regular, you'll get the impression that these are vignettes that are linked together in a linear narrative, um, even though you're not transitioning in traditional first-person shooter way from one to the other um, in a kind of traditional story sense. Um, but that that did bring to mind, um, as we talked about on the Virginia issue, um, games of that ilk like 30 Flights of Loving or something where they are clearly scenes that are strung together, but you're just not necessarily getting them in the right order or in a contiguous, understandable fashion. As, as you say, I think more so with the, the VR yeah. game, because in that you can't actually move in the... Um... Yeah. 
in the VR levels, you just sort of either wait for the enemies to come at you. And there's there's multiple levels in there where you start off, say, on the top of a building and you push an enemy over and then it flips down to the next floor and you see the guy fall. Yeah. And then you finish that level, go to the next floor down and the guy's still falling in the background. Uh, it's it's much less present in the in the main yeah. game, but it still I think it still happens a couple of times where you you flip through uh, the end of a level and you can see you almost see like you know the gun that you threw out of your hand breaking on the floor yeah, yeah, from yeah. a completely different position. Mm. Yeah, and some of the on screen text that kind of gives you clues as to exactly what you're doing at the moment is kind of like just a, a title screen for each uh, group of missions that that just lets you know maybe what you're doing like breaking and entering into somewhere that kind of thing that does give a sense that there is a a sequence of events happening in front of you even if you never get a good handle on on them yourself another thing that i think does a really good job of putting you in a place is some of the sound design the audio cues because oftentimes you're being assaulted from enemies on multiple sides and you can't always keep track of who is where and whether or not they're shooting at you at any given time so the audio design, the sound cues that it gives you for someone shooting at you or an enemy being hit when you've shot them but can't necessarily continue to see them because you're constantly strafing around trying to avoid their bullets, which means you'll often shoot them and then move behind, say, a pillar or a wall to avoid their bullet. Uh, but there's always sound letting you know, cueing you into what is going on around you, which I thought was really helpful. Yeah, the it's a weird thing to to talk about, but like the sound of text coming on screen in this game <laughs> is like impeccable. Like the little like I, I don't know if it's like a snap or something, but when you get like you know when you're playing endless mode and it's like one, two, three, four as you kill people, it's just like oh, it's so good. You know, I don't <laughs> I don't know how you kind of like design that kind of sound, but whatever they did, they nailed it. Yeah, I'm sure that it's it's uh, particularly impactful because of the virtual lack of any other background noises or anything mm. at all. I mean, we are just saying sort of mirror's edge. If you were on the top of a building there, you'd be able to hear sort of faint traffic sounds and stuff from down below. Well, and wind Whereas, as well. You'd hear wind rushing around you or, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, um, where you get almost nothing of that here. The, pretty much the only sounds that you hear are the noises that you're making, the noises that the enemies are making. And bear in mind, there's very little sort of movement noise. There's not really footfalls or anything like that. And the enemies don't talk to each other. So most of what you hear is uh, weapons being thrown or uh, guns going off or and the sound of the enemies when they get uh, destroyed, when they sort of fall to pieces like glass breaking yeah, yeah. is, you know, such a, a visual cue when you're, sort of throwing things slightly out of your your line of sight and you hear you hear the guy breaking and you just, you know exactly mm. what's happened but i think um yeah i think it's it's incredibly important to have just that instead of anything that's sort of muffling it in the background or uh, you know overwriting what a, I, I mean i guess the sound is as much of a a facet of the gameplay as the visuals in some some respect here. Yeah. yeah, the also the bullets have a very nice like whooshing sound For as sure, they yeah. go past you, which which does make me feel very much like, you know, Keanu and the Matrix or something, <laughs> where they just kind of like by your head. Yeah. 
they do a good job of letting you know which side of you it's on as well. They do break the stereo so that often bullets are whizzing literally past your head on one side or the other, pretty close. Um, and I want to say I always had an impression from the sound what side of me they were on. I might have been imagining it in all honesty, but uh, it felt that way at least. Bearing in mind that it's it's like an assault coming at you uh, constantly in these levels, yeah, yeah. you know, they're for the most part, the longest levels are maybe, you know, when you actually nail it, mm. 30 to 40 seconds, and then you see the, the little replay, and it tells you what yeah. the, the actual time when you move is, and it shows you the replay of of just your character's movement. They take out all of the, the, the points where the time is stopped, and that normally cuts it down to maybe like 15 seconds, but it took you 30 to do it. And it's it's for that entire period, like it's a it's a rush and an assault of things just yeah. coming at you. So it's it gets so confusing when you've got multiple bullets coming from different directions and enemies charging at you from yeah three hundred and sixty degrees in some cases. Yeah. Yeah. Like you need all of those little cues, but it gets overwhelming so quickly. Part of what I was saying about the this being the whole of this game, the the aesthetic and the gameplay and the premise all kind of marrying up together is done uh, really quite well. And what I was thinking about listening to to you guys talk about how stripped back some of the sound is starts making me wonder if that's yes, it's from the point of view of this game is clearly a small team with a relatively small budget making something that is going to be fairly constrained. But also, if this game is supposed to be getting the player to unknowingly do commit pretty real life horrible acts without knowing it stripping back the audio like stripping back real world sounds would be a pretty good way to distance the player from understanding that this had any real world implications having a game that looked the way this looks in terms of it being very minimalist and stark and stripped of character and the grit and grime of real life would be a really good way of getting someone to do something where they didn't understand that it was in any way tangible or real I'm sure it's happenstance that, that that I can put all of that together in a way that makes me feel there was an intentional cohesion to all of this going on. But I think it's done really well overall. It gets across what it needs to get across, and it it very much conveys the feeling of this could be a you know a a completely fully fledged uh, FPS by the time it was actually finished. Yeah. It's a team working on something so much bigger, and you're seeing you know a a very early build of mm. it but it it for the things that it lacks in colors and you know fully designed sounds and you know proper textures and faces and voices and things yeah. like that that it just nails what it's actually going for mm. so perfectly but let's get on to talking about that gameplay we've mentioned bits and pieces just as a kind of introduction to that and to kind of put us in a mind of that topic, uh, some more from Superuser on the forum. John, would you care to read this from Superuser through, please? Mm, of course. Uh, so Superuser continues, uh, I first played the Jam game and reluctantly kickstarted it after a friend pushed me to. I wasn't sure if the concept could be expanded into a full game. I then 100% completely completed Superhot over 33 awesome hours. It's easily my favourite game of 2016. It was the most innovative shooter I'd played in years. The core gameplay loop is based entirely on its gimmick. It's extremely satisfying and gives it a feel that no other shooter can replicate. It's an action game at heart, but has an almost turn-based pace. The core high-level play can be summed up as, uh, in inverted commas, uh, stealing turns and killing multiple red guys without giving them recourse all while surviving. 
everything dies in a single shot and the game even has a joke for you when you try to score headshots. Let's sort of really sort of drill into some of these gameplay aspects. The movement, and we'll have to talk about how this is different in the VR version for a very good reason, but there's a difference between your aiming movement, which is obviously the player turning, and actual locomotion where you are physically moving forward, backward, left, right, you know, physically stepping, if you like, one foot in front of the other. Um, the aim has almost no effect on time moving. Time is moving very slowly, and when you turn to aim back, forward, etc., if you're just turning your head, it, as far as I could tell, doesn't really change that progression of time. It's just dripping forward. But as soon as you pull a trigger, move physically like one step in front of the other, pick an item up, throw something, time starts to move. And, and it doesn't move all the while your bullet is in the air, but all the while you're in theory pressing the trigger, I guess, pulling the trigger, time moves for that period. And most importantly, whenever you're moving around, time is moving at a pretty one-to-one -one rate. Enemies will be moving as quickly around the environment as you are, essentially. Um, is that a fair way of putting it? I think so. It's it's kind of jarring in places because there are movements that feel um, like, I, I suppose it's probably, you know, still the same as if you were running, but particularly when you do things like jumping, mm. I guess because it's a, you know, it's a button press for you that then has a, you know, a set amount of distance that it always carries you. Um, at that point, it often feels like things are sort of fast-forwarding fast yeah, and going really quickly. Yeah. There's a level very early on, I think it's probably the fourth or fifth level, that starts with a car moving very slowly <laughs> towards you, and the only thing you can really do is, is jump yeah. over it immediately from the beginning. And by the time you've jumped and cleared this car, you've got a guy who's popped out of nowhere along the side, yeah. and the car's gone you know, a few metres behind you, which then sort of pulls around and another guy gets out of it and starts shooting. And I don't know that I'd actually used the jump button before before that no. happened in the in that level. And it, it yeah, it, it just feels like suddenly action is going on. Like because I think your your instinct before that is to be very, very slow and to make very small movements. And when you do things like you know, you pick up a weapon or you pick up a gun um you then want to you want to try and deal with the enemies that you can see without having to move if possible sure. so shooting is obviously fairly you know fairly straightforward as you said it's pretty pretty minimal the the time movement while you're aiming so the ideal is to kind of stop on in space and either throw a weapon or or shoot mm. and hope that that deals with the enemies rather than actually move yeah. So the the sequences where you're forced to to move properly, and I can think of three or four levels where it starts off and you're like in the middle of an action scene, the, the car coming towards you is one. There's another one later where you're in an alleyway and there's a truck coming towards you and you've got to back up quite a reasonable distance and then pull into the side. And that is, it feels very hectic and very um, uh, counterintuitive to, to the way that the game makes you feel like it wants to be played otherwise. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's usual. Yeah, jumping was definitely one that I noticed cause, or falling. If you decide to fall from a higher uh, area down onto a lower, very quickly you can realise that there's been a lot happened between when you started falling and when you finished. <laughs> right. And it can really catch you out of sorts. 
one of my favorite things about movement and this is kind of this is something that i it took me a long time to kind of wrap my head around but mm. became one of the most like pleasurable parts of it is in other first person shooters even when when they have kind of like projectiles that move slowly enough that you can dodge them yeah you're usually dodging them by enough that you don't have to like think about how big your character model is <laughs> but in this you know you you have bullets that are coming you know inches from from your face or body yeah. and what you learn is that you are much wider then you are it's like like if you're facing towards something you're much broader than if you kind of like turn sideways it's yeah. it's very hard to describe but what it what it results in are these incredible action scene feeling moments where you like you're turning and like watching a bullet fly past your nose and it mm. almost feels like you're like sucking in your gut or something <laughs> to like yeah, let sure. it let it go right yeah. past you and it's it is absolutely not something that i've ever done before because like when would you have the time to do this in like doom or halo you know it's like everything yeah, just yeah, happens yeah. so fast but in this you can really play with like the millimeters of space that you have yeah. and and on some of the harder levels are like weaving in between machine gun fire you know it just it just feels incredibly action movie-esque to like yeah. be able to pull this off yeah you having said that reminds me um so in the first sam raimi spider-man film when peter goes into school and ends up he first gets into a fight with flash there's that moment where flash throws a punch out at him and he just like dodges to the side turns looks at it quizzically the number yes, of times exactly i did that like with that. a bullet that came past me and, and it never got old to that feeling yeah it, it's an unusual thing to have um a first person shooter where you can actually see the bullets moving and plan your path around them because i'd say that virtually all shooters nowadays uh, you, you never see a bullet in midair unless it's you know in some sort of uh matrix style cutscene where you're you're sort of following it into a into an enemy yeah. um it, most most guns uh effectively i suppose they'd be considered to be like hit scans unless you're very specifically looking at you know maybe like a plasma weapon or something where you yeah. do see the yeah, you know do see the rounds yeah, flying yeah, yeah. yeah even in something like max Payne, which features like slow mo it's not this slow, you know, like no, you're not no, maneuverable sure. enough to like get out of the way of a shot that, you know, happened a couple inches from you. It kind of raises a point that you can't outrun the bullets in this universe, but you can have a damn good try of it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I mean, I no matter how slowly time may be moving, you know, this is a reality where you can probably run like maybe a quarter of the speed of a bullet or a third of the speed of a bullet like you put that into you know into knowing how fast the bullet actually travels in our universe you think how fast you would be able to move if you were a quarter of that speed like it's it's kind of uh it's a a very otherworldly sort of ethereal feeling being seeing these like traces yeah, especially when they're coming directly towards your face, and especially in the uh, the VR mode oh, where yeah. you can actually move around and dodge them, which is something that uh, I kind of went back and forwards between playing the two games. Mm. Oh, I mean, they're two completely separate titles, I guess, for that in that respect. And it, it 
when I went back to the the non VR version, I was frustrated that I couldn't. You can't duck. I don't. No, no, think. no. You can't. I no. mean, you you've got your movement and you've got your jumping, yeah. but there's not really. You don't get the dodging feeling of actually being able to move specific parts of your body or um or even crouching down well, that you you have in the yeah, VR and, version. And speaking of which, I'd remembered in this game when I was playing the VR that you could shoot a bullet out of the air. It was more often than not luck and in theory you could use like a knife to to a knife would interact with a bullet in the air as well but in practice there's not the fidelity of movement to be able to do that whereas in the vr version i had so much fun just cutting knives out cutting bullets out the air with a knife just bullet after bullet after bullet and that but i felt like i could have done that in the in the main game which is something that it f- it was much more like luck whenever that happened. Um, oh, it's um in like the katana challenge, you actually yeah. do that pretty frequently because mm. because you don't have other ways of dodging yeah. them. So it's like you can't really do it if it's uh, a shotgun or a machine gun. But like with the pistol, I would I would frequently like approach a guy kind of cutting bullets as he shot them, which is incredibly satisfying. And your katana may be the fastest thing that happens in this world, the the swipe of the katana blade. Yeah. And then the the sort of the reload animation or, you know, the reload time between you striking once and striking again. I can only imagine like if someone was watching this from the outside, like a movie, you know, with the the weird way that the the bullets are that slow yeah. compared to the humans. And then the katana, you must just look like sort of a whirlwind when you're swinging that thing around. On- Ryan Reynolds Deadpool in Wolverine that scene where he walks into the room and just deflects every bullet with his swords yeah absolutely yeah like a Tasmanian devil yeah, yeah for sure mm. um so sort of rounding to our coming round to our verbs we've talked about being able to move and jump jump can be useful to avoid bullets but for the most part you can still be hit in the legs essentially so it can be tricky to do that um and then you have shooting and melee attacks with either fists or particular melee weapons, and then the ability to throw uh, pretty much anything in your hand, whether that's a, a particular object that you would press the attack button and it would throw, like an ashtray, for example, um, or the attack button with a bat, say, would be just to swing it, but you then have the option to throw it as well, or a gun you can throw too. And there's a distinction there where a bladed or edged weapon, something that you think might sort of cut an uh, an enemy will will kill when it, it hits them whereas a blunt object that you throw including a gun or an object from the environment is going to stun them but it will break when it hits them and it won't kill them uh, but that can be useful for knocking a gun from their hands or from just giving you a second or two to kind of regroup and get in on them uh, some of my favorite levels in the game are ones where they they just put you in a situation with like a dozen throwable objects, you know, <laughs> yeah. where where you're just you've got like a pool table full of pool balls or you're yeah. like behind a bar and you can throw every bottle because it feels like a kind of like one of those really creative action scenes, like a For Jackie sure. Chan movie yeah, or something yeah. where you're just like, you're just using everything you can and just like, you know, pelting this guy with like <laughs> tequila <laughs> bottles and martini yeah. glasses and all of this. Um, yeah. And and it's, it's a really, I, I think Superhot does a great job of like d- making you feel like something not by having you 
you know, necessarily recreate it one to one, but getting like the feel of it, you know, like, yeah, yeah, like as yeah. opposed to um, like a modern Tomb Raider game where you kind of jump forward and things explode behind you and you don't really feel like you're doing anything. In this, the kind of visual feedback is fairly minimal, but just like the amount of agency and the amount of kind of like weird decisions you have the time to make really make you feel, you know, immensely creative in the different ways that you're approaching things. And I think this is another difference from VR that we'll get to in a sec, but you also sort of halfway through, I guess, the game are given an ability, which is hot switch, which is on a cooldown which I guess in real terms is only about two or three seconds, but because you're constantly paused, if you like, in time, it often feels like it takes a long time to recharge. So in in in-game terms, it's only a few seconds. And if you're constantly moving, it will recharge really quickly, but but not always. Um, That is such a powerful, like overpowered ability. On some of the challenge levels with the katana, I on one of them at least, I didn't kill anyone with the katana. I just stayed out of their way long enough for hot switch to recharge and just hot switched into them and then hot switched out. Because <laughs> whenever you move to an enemy, um, so you put your cursor on them, they sort of shimmer black instead of red and you can then transfer into them, at which point the body you were in dies. Um, it throws whatever it had in its hands, but so does the body you transfer into and almost inevitably, I never really found a good way to hot switch into a body and then grab the weapon that they just threw. It seems like pretty much across the board, the weapon was being thrown against something that would cause it to break. Yeah, they they break pretty much yeah. immediately when they leave the other guy's Which hands. is absolutely intentional because they don't just want you hot switching to whoever's got the best weapon and getting that all the time. But it's so overpowered. Whenever I was in a bad situation and sometimes I would forget I had hot switch, it almost always got me out of it, even though the enemies you're around instantaneously train their guns on you wherever you go to. So it's not quite as overpowered as it might sound, but it's still functionally just, it makes you almost, you know, godlike, I guess. I think my my favourite thing in the game that I experienced in the entirety was during the uh, Katana Challenge. Mm. There's probably the last four or five yeah. levels are, uh, really really i found them really difficult because yeah. it's large areas with lots of enemies and at that point they've mostly got machine guns and shotguns mm. and i think i got to one of them and kind of almost got stuck on it and was there for probably you know six or seven minutes kind of bashing my head up against it and i suddenly realized that you can hot switch but if you hot switch you lose the katana because your character drops it and the um the other character inevitably won't have a weapon that you can use it's very rare there's a few occasions where they've got katanas and there's a few occasions where there's katanas in the level that you can pick up but i came across this i think the last level particularly where it's like a vault has like every weapon in Mm. it which is kind of cool for that but there was a point where i realized that what you could do is you could stare at an enemy you could throw the katana at them hot switch into them while it was in the air grab it as it flew yeah. towards your yeah. character and it didn't matter if it hit you because it didn't you know if you missed it and it hit you it doesn't actually kill you so then you you either grab it out of the air like a complete action movie badass or you just pick it up off the floor behind you <laughs> if you're not a badass yeah. and then you just continue with that and there was there's an area where i think is it's the train level yeah. 
that I just couldn't figure it out because you, you immediately jump off the top of one train, the door opens in front of you, and you've got three enemies mm -hmm. there who are Stationary basically well. already shooting. Yeah, they're, they're like lined up next to each other. I think two of them have got shotguns and one of them has a machine yeah. gun. So unless you react within you know, a second, you're going to die. And it took that took me a few minutes to realize, well, I guess I, if I hot switch into one of them, then I won't be able to do anything. So you throw the katana at yeah. one, hot switch into the other, grab the katana out of the wall and kill the third one. And it was, it was like yeah. a, a revelation when I realized sure, that sure, yeah. this is what you can do. I assume the developers intended you to do this. If they didn't, then, you know, I'm also a genius as well as a badass. <laughs> But probably this was the intention. It's just that that light bulb switching on. For it. sure. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I could, I could do that. And apart from anything else, it will look unbelievably cool. It is also interesting in the context of the the story. What hot switching introduces is basically like your body in the game means nothing. You yes. know that yeah. that you can teleport away and then you turn back and see the body that you were just in and like it he its head explodes or something and it's yeah, like yeah, yeah. you know I am. I am not any one thing. I'm just this, you know, computer program or whatever. And there's actually there's one of the challenges is called Ghost in the Machine, where you can like you can't pick up weapons, but you can hot switch, you know, from the very beginning yeah. and you have one punch kills. And like that just that title is is fairly you know, fairly yeah, telling of like what yeah, it yeah, yeah, what yeah, it shows yeah. that you are. So let's get on to that story. Um we've kind of touched on what happens, but essentially you as the you as the player are playing the that's you in the game you are playing yourself essentially you are the player of a game who's given this this game superhot.exe to try out and the game is updated the game is patched and you get to start again you're exchanging the file with a friend who's giving it to you and then there's a password protected file that you receive where you can't play it unless you work out the password. And I think within two guesses, you work out the password. I should say any text input you're doing, it just has you, at least on an Xbox controller, wiggle the, the triggers and it just auto types. Um, I seem to remember even, on PC, even on I actually... Keyboard. Yeah, you no, actually you type, just, but it just types something else. Yeah. Um, yeah. And at that point, the game starts pushing back against you, telling you not to play it. And of course, the idea is you continue to. And having made the decision to carry on, the game has warned you. You are, and you start to feel like you are losing control over your ability to play your ability to resist playing this game, um, and perhaps losing agency over the choices that you make, um, and ultimately results in. I think we've all kind of said it. The ending is you fully upload yourself into the core of the game, the, the core of the program, if you like. So it's all about playing with what's reality, what's the game. If you upload yourself to reality or if you do these things in the game, how can you be sure what's going on between worlds, if you like? And that extends to, there's essentially fourth wall breaking where if you're the player playing a game, the menu is part of that as well, where it's you essentially pressing play on the game in the menu so you as a player exist in the game the narrative bleeds out into the menus through the chat and through what the program is is telling you to do and so yeah it really comes down to it being in in a similar way to i guess something like a bioshock it's about player agency and about if you continue to play that's a choice you've made and that is your choice 
uh, is kind of the way I would say it. Let's quickly hear before we get your two guys' opinions on it. Let's hear from Nick's Blaster again from the forum. So Nick's Blaster says, When I started up the game, I didn't really know what to expect other than what I had seen from that one YouTube video. I thought that the game would offer a campaign to go off of, and while it does somewhat, it serves more as a tutorial than a narrative. There are snippets of stuff here and there that were presented that were interesting, such as your nameless player character growing addicted to the digital gospel of Superhot, and the system essentially trying to brainwash you and make you subservient. But I feel like they could have done much more with the story, such as give you, the player, the choice as to whether to obey or go against the system. I feel like that would have been more satisfying overall than just giving in to the addiction and ultimately self-destruction. However, though I found the story disappointing, I think it does a good job getting you up to speed for the gameplay. When everything comes together and you're dodging bullets and punching guys seconds before they shoot you, all the while grabbing their gun in midair and blowing them away, it feels really awesome. After the battle is done and you see the replay play out, you can't help but feel a little like John Wick as you take guys out left and right with near pinpoint accuracy. It most definitely makes you feel super hot. Thank you very much, Nick's Blast, for that. I have uh, quite a specific kind of almost rebuttal to this, but I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on story, not just what Nick's Blaster said there, but just the story in general, because Nick's Blaster wasn't all that enthusiastic about it, uh, and I wondered how you guys felt overall about the the narrative. I was I was very happy with the way that the game played out. I don't really know what I expected mm-hmm. going into it. Um, I guess I didn't really expect anything. I figured it would be, you know, almost just a sort of mobile phone game setup of here's 25 levels, yeah. play through them all, and they're all completely separated from each other. So when I started playing it and realized that there was actually quite a deep story that mm. ties everything together, it, it certainly um, certainly gave me more than, um, more than what I thought I was going to get. Yeah. So... Um, yeah, I, w- I was very happy with it in that respect. And also, I mean, it's just kind of a cool, neat thing that plays very nicely into the way that the game looks and feels yeah. and plays. Like they, as I said before, they justify the way that the game looks like it's unfinished and in a lot of ways kind of feels like it's still buggy and yeah, glitchy yeah. and, you know, is is in the, you know, in the pipeline to being something that's probably, you know, more what we expect out of a, a fully fledged video game so yeah i i enjoyed that and then the the whole sort of computer sucking you in and it it sort of um nick's blaster mentions it it brainwashes you and tries to make you subservient it kind of just forces your hand in all of Mm -hmm. these situations because as you say you just you just wiggle the stick on the xbox controller instead of typing and your your guy just types it, you you can see he's trying to start saying something and then it gets deleted and gets overwritten and it's very clear as you go through it that i mean it feels like it feels like you're on a computer and you know you've you've used some dodgy uh, sort of emulated piece of software that doesn't belong to you and you you know you've somehow had your computer hacked yeah. and you know someone's running team viewer and and taking mm-hmm. control of your computer like it feels like that the first time it happens and you th- sort of thinking, oh, it's not great. You know, mm-hmm. hopefully this doesn't get any worse. Yeah. And, then, and, and then it sort of gets worse and worse and worse. And you're like, um, you're like Alice sort of falling down the rabbit hole with it, unable to, unable to do anything about yeah. it. And you kind of just, at that point, you're just there for the ride. So yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm cool with that. It's something that I've not seen in such a, 
you know, immersive way before. Yeah. I'm I'm a little more lukewarm on mm -hmm. it. Um I really like the presentation of the story. You know, I think yeah. the kind of like uh, computer graphics and as I mentioned the the kind of like weird breaking stuff is done very interestingly. Um I just don't feel like it has a lot to say at the end of the day, which, yeah. which you know, <laughs> if people are familiar with me and my content, you know, I <laughs> kind of try to make everything political and, and not every game has to do that. But like, you know, I if I say edgy, it sounds really mean, but it, it feels yeah, more like, yeah. you know, this is a kind of twisted story about computers that like I I can't really apply to anything outside of this or or if i would it would be a very superficial level of like hey ever think that you know you spend a lot of time on the computer and it ends up controlling you like it's just it's kind of like a like a second rate black mirror in that regard and sure. and so i don't yeah. i don't dis like <laughs> that sounds really harsh and i and i certainly mm -hmm. had like a good time playing through it all the way but like there's not that much I think that this story aspires to other than being kind of like an interesting connection between levels. And for that, it's great. But otherwise, you know, I could take it or leave it. So I mentioned I had a, a, a rebuttal that I wanted to put to Nick's Blaster and Nick's Blaster wasn't the only person on the forums to mention that the story didn't work for them. Uh, and also bear in mind, I am an absolute sucker for anything that plays with my perspective on reality. Like I was told in high school English class that they woke up and it was all a dream at the end is absolute like garbage tier um, fiction uh, by a teacher. And that stuck with me, but I really like that stuff sometimes if it's played well. And that's in some ways what this kind of is. Um, Nick Splasser says they felt like they wanted a choice. Because in my read of this, you are playing yourself you are the protagonist of this game. You have the choice. The choice is actually to turn the game off. I'm not fond of that uh, defense of of Bioshock's lack of choice, and I had a problem with Bioshock's lack of choice. Like, when you're standing in Bioshock, given the moment of choice, I'm not going to spoil anything, I felt the way Nick's Blaster does here, like I wanted the third option, where the first option is do what the game's telling you, the second option is stop playing the game. In this case, the game is not just overwhelming your computer in the way that um that you guys have just described um like you know getting a virus in your computer it's overwriting you it's literally hacking you back as it were um and so the notion of um having a choice in this you you can't because the game is taking away that choice from you um so that every action you take and and Nick's Blaster actually says it here. Uh, when everything comes together, you're dodging bullets, punching guys seconds before they shoot you, all the while grabbing their gun in midair and blowing them away. It feels really awesome. Think about what that sentence <laughs> says. It feels really awesome to do horrific things. But that's the point. The game is supposed to make you feel that. And that's like base tier. Is violence in video games making you feel good about it? Really actually making you accustomed to committing horrific acts. I don't believe that, but I, I, that's the premise of this game and I'm willing to go along with it for as much as I think it, it does make a, it makes a, a point to me. Um, and I, I agree, Jacob, I don't think it's necessarily got 
um, wide ramifications for video games as a medium or entertainment as a medium and, and what they do to us. But just in this situation where someone's created a program that could, in theory, hack your computer while you're playing it, but then in turn hack you, that's a cool concept. And I think this game handles that pretty for me, it handled it pretty well. I really liked the way this was done. And I, I really liked the story in this. Uh, in no way was I disappointed, I have to say. Um, I, I don't necessarily think it's, you know, uh, far and away one of the best stories I've played in games or anything, or far and away one of my favourites even. It just resonated with me for the reasons mentioned, you know, for uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I often say one of uh, my favourite episodes of that show is an episode that calls into question the entirety of what happens in that show. And I won't say more than that because it's not a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast and I don't want to spoil that, but that sort of aspect to uh, to this story I really liked. I really enjoyed. I'm very easy. Like I, I very much enjoy the things that are you know, genre-defining and you know, boundary-pushing. And you know, I, I love something that, it will make a point or, you know, plant its flag in the ground and, and really have something to say. But then on the other hand, sometimes you get something like this that it's it's nothing, you know, it's nothing incredible. It's just a fun little thing. And it's only a couple of hours long and you can sit there and do it in a session. And it feels like, you know, you get sucked into the game when you play it in that way, in this in the same manner that the, you know, the character internally is getting sucked into it. It's yeah, I I I think it's just a a fun little distraction basically, mm. and that's all that's all I really need out of it to to say that it was good. Okay, we've got a couple of pieces of community feedback to kind of round out our talk in this game, and then we're going to get on to talking a little bit more specifically about the VR game because I think all of us have some stuff to to say about about that. Um, so I'll uh, take us through K Sub Zero's uh, feedback from the forum who says, Superhot is a game that didn't really click with me in the way I was expecting it to. On paper, at least, it does tick a lot of my boxes. Distinct visual style, check. Refined mechanical structure, check. Challenge modes that are geared towards replayability, check. I played through the campaign, which I found entertaining enough, despite not really understanding the story and social commentary it was going for. Afterwards, I tackled the challenges, but found myself bored halfway through, unfortunately. I think the issue for me is the perceived strategic shallowness. Uh, conventional action games, even those without explicit scoring systems or challenge modes, tend to allow for a good deal of mechanical optimization. Finishing a Bayonetta mission with either a pure platinum or stone medal may count as a success either way, but they are two completely different experiences, and that's where the lion's share of the replay value stems from for me. Whereas in Superhot, all success states are equal, and I don't feel motivated to revise whatever basic strategy currently gets the job done. Even on the Katana-only challenges, for example, I feel like I'm just waiting for the enemies to stop spawning so I can move on to the next one immediately afterwards. I appreciate what it's trying to do, and I'll definitely stay on the lookout for more inventive action puzzle hybrids with unique gameplay loops of this sort in the future. But in the end, I would probably have regretted paying full price for this solid and memorable yet underwhelming experience. I kind of feel like we've touched a little bit on the challenges, uh, but do you guys have anything particularly either in response to case of zero there or on the endless mode and challenges that are unlocked after completing the story. I just want to I, I reflect mm. what I think some of the four members have said already, which is like 
the endless mode and challenges are where the real game is mm. you know like if you if you played this through on just the kind of campaign and finished you would not i mean like and and if you get something good out of the story that's great but like you know it doesn't really push you to master the system in the way that mm. like many of the challenges do and i really liked you know fists only challenges or this like hot swap one or you know there are speed runs both for time elapsed in like when time is running full speed and time elapsed that you're playing and i think it's like it's so interesting that this game can like make two different speed run modes um and and so yeah i if you are interested at all and you haven't done those challenges, then you're doing yourself a disservice because like that's that's where the real meat of like what super hot is as a game comes through. I I kind of understand where some of the uh comments about it about the game being a bit underwhelming or maybe not having as mm. much content as people would like um you know are coming from. Um I think I, I kind of felt not, you know, not that I was fed up with the game, but I didn't do everything that was involved in this. I believe there's something like 15 different challenge modes and I only fully played through a couple of them. I messed about with the um, uh, endless modes a few times and had a, had a run on various different levels of that and enjoyed it. And I played through the campaign, obviously. But I think I got to the point where after spending maybe an hour each on the Katana challenge and then the, the AD 2013 challenge, and I kind of realized, like looking down at the list of them, it's basically the same 25 levels over and over and over, just with some different gameplay parameters, whether that's that, you know, you're allowed to hot switch on every single level or there are no guns on this one and you can only throw weapons to kill people. I think I just got to the point where after going through everything a few times, I just felt like I'd, I'd kind of had my fill of it. Like it wasn't, I wasn't bored. No. I wasn't fed up. I just, I'd seen what I needed to see and I didn't need to play through every level 15 times with slightly different um, parameters on it to, you know, I, I didn't think it was going to do any more. So, I mean, I guess that's, you know, there's the argument on both hands of, I mean, it's not a full price game. It's only, I think it's £20 on the various stores in the UK that it's on. And it's it was given away on Games with Gold. It's currently on Game Pass. It, As Jacob said, it was given away for, is that yeah, Amazon Twitch Prime? Prime Twitch yeah, Prime. Twitch Prime Games, yeah. yeah. Um, it's probably been in Humble Bundles. It's yeah. probably either been or will be at some point on PlayStation Plus. So, And it's it's on sale, at least on Quite Xbox, bit, like yeah. every third or fourth week down for, for half price as basically everything on xbox tends to be so i mean it's it's not a game that you're going to spend a ton of money on and it is one where you can get probably 10 hours of like you know full-on you're going to really enjoy this for this time and then you can spend another 20 or 30 hours on top of that maximizing everything and by which point you really will have done everything and seen everything that the game has to Mm. offer and probably be bored of it um but it's 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 for what what I want out of it. It's exactly that. I mean, it is a game that I probably paid for, but I own it on three separate platforms yeah. and I own the VR version of it and I'm very happy that I have it. Um, and it's just, 
I've I've sort of had my yeah no it's, it's I've had my fun with it now and I I don't regret yeah, it yeah, in yeah. the slightest it's it's a really fun game yeah. and I probably will come back to it and I'll almost certainly go back to the VR game over and over and over mm. so I don't I personally can't say that it's disappointing or particularly underwhelming but I can see where that argument comes from because it's there's not a huge amount of unique content in here. So a couple of pieces of forum correspondence here. Toon Skatoon says, I just finished playing Super Hot on Switch. I played it completely in handheld mode. I've got some intermittent Joy-Con drift issues happening, which aren't great for this game, but I managed anyways. I'd never played Super Hot before, so I can't compare it to any of the other releases. I also haven't read any of the comments on the board, but I'd wager there's a lot of portal talk taking place. It makes sense. Both are first-person shooters slash puzzlers where you manipulate physics and are antagonised by a computer. I thought about that game a lot too, but the game, or rather series of games I thought about more while playing Superhot, was the Super Mario Brothers series. Maybe I've just got Mario on my mind because I'm loving messing with the cane and rinse levels in Mario Maker 2, but just like in 2D Mario games, Superhot makes you think that you're supposed to methodically pick your way through stages, when in actuality the game is typically easier, at least in my experience, the faster you move. It's a cool sleight of hand trick that I found very rewarding, even though I guessed early on when I was hurtling through the levels that I was likely hurtling towards my own demise. Speaking of that demise, I have to give the game credit for making me hesitate before killing off my own character's body. I spent a good five minutes trying to shoot or mind swap with anything besides my character's jacked-in form. Eventually, though, I did the deed. If I hadn't, how could I ever play more super hot? Yeah, we didn't actually mention the the end, but a couple of points during the story. You So one point, the game shows you yourself playing the game. So like, we are watching you type thing. It literally says we are watching you. Um, and then another point, you have to walk up to your own home apartment, I guess, and kind of walk in behind yourself. And then the, it is the very end of the game, isn't it? You're just put right behind yourself and you have to just walk up and and prove that your body, as the part of the game's mantra, is that your mind is basically everything and your body is disposable. So you have to relieve yourself of your corporeal form, I guess we'll say, uh, which obviously um, is a harrowing concept um, and likely to put some people off. The next piece of form correspondence speaks even further to that. And we'll uh, get more into it in the VR version yeah, as well. Sure. It's a little bit more heavy handed there. But yeah, it's, it's, um, it's not a pleasant thing that you're forced to do if you want to continue playing the game. But as, as we've said, multiple times it just ties into the way that the the story played yeah, out. yeah jacob would you take us through the reviewist's comment please super hot is that sort of viscerally immediate experience that's so simple you can't help but think why didn't someone do it before graphically it looks uncannily like a 3d remake of hotline miami made on the engine of the 1993 robocop 3 game on the atari st but playing at a speed that would be unthinkable back then I picked up Superhot last year on PC and then played it on Xbox when it was a Games with Gold freebie, and both times I've been amazed at how it never fails to amaze me at the simple addictive nature of the game, although admittedly the PC version works far better with the meta-narrative and the DOS-like interface. Speaking of the meta-narrative, the game does wonders with relatively little, and I've heard stories of people who refused to, quote, free themselves from their corporeal form while playing it on VR since the idea was just too disturbing. 
Its only drawback is that while short and sweet, the multiple extra modes and challenges all prove a little repetitive, but for the low price it fetches these days, it's surely worth it for this bite-sized piece of super violent madness. Let's get on to talking about that VR version then. Uh, as mentioned, yeah, the, the we'll get to how the, the ending kind of differs. Um, but the similarities to start off with. Uh, also developed by Superhot Team, published by Superhot Team. Uh, this was released 5th of December 2016, so actually same year as the, the main game. It was released to PC uh, uh, VR headsets, which at the time would have been Oculus and was Vive out by then? I'm not 100% sure, but anyway, released to PC uh, VR and then came uh, to PSVR the same day it came to PlayStation 4, which was, I guess, seven, eight months after PlayStation VR had actually launched, which was in, I think, September, October 2016, off the top of my head. Um, so a little bit later, but still been out for now a couple of years. Um, and probably worth mentioning because, as with so many games, the Oculus Quest has a different version of the game. It doesn't necessarily follow that it's the same game as is on Oculus Rift, just because the hardware is quite different. Um, and that was released this year, 30th of April 2019. So yeah, the, the VR version has to make a lot of changes, uh, but one thing it didn't change was the reviews. Um, pretty highly reviewed. The PC VR version of the game actually... Uh, fares better on game rankings than the main game did, 86.5%. The PSVR fares slightly worse, and I think uh, we'll probably touch on why that is. There's technical limitations there that I think affect it. Uh, it comes in just under 80%, so still no slouch, still did incredibly well. I think it's worth pointing out that um, for for a long time, especially mm. in kind of like 2016, when people were still like, I don't know, VR doesn't seem like it has many good games. Yeah. Super Hot was kind of a killer app. Like, you know, that sure. was like, yeah. you know, it was like, well, there's not much good, but you got to play Super Hot was something yeah. that I heard from like several people. Yeah. And, and actually, uh, there was a sales article put out uh, a couple of, uh, so I mentioned one of them previously that was on Forbes that talked about, um, the the series sales being 2 million. Uh, there was an article by Rebecca Valentine on GameIndustry.biz in April of this year, so around the same time as that Forbes article, uh, where they had some different figures and said, Superhot VR has now exceeded 800,000 copies, and they didn't specifically say that was more copies than the main game, but what they did say is that Superhot team have earned more from the VR game than the original release. Obviously, there's different prices there, and it's priced differently on different um, uh platforms so the oculus quest version is a touch over 20 pounds whereas the steam version of the main game at the moment is slightly under so um 20 pounds that is um so there's differences in pricing uh but the vr version has done incredibly well and i think like to be honest for me alongside beat saber i guess is kind of the game people if people are going to be talking about vr and what to play it kind of stands up alongside Beat Saber as this is a game you really have to play. Um, and, and notably, it is a separate standalone game. This isn't a mode that was patched onto the original game. It's a separate piece of software. It works actually significantly differently despite looking and, and in some ways feeling a lot like the same game with, you know, it's called Super Hot. So um, if in some way, like I say, in some ways, it is super hot taken and put into VR, but you can't move at all. Like there's no teleporting movement. There's no um, 
there's none of the ways that VR games, say like a Fallout or a Skyrim VR, have had to work out how to do movement in VR. There's no free movement, anything like that. You are literally stationary and enemies are coming at you from the environment around. But what that means is you don't need to worry about whether room skill or not. You're just standing still and the way you move as a stationary human being in terms of twisting, turning, moving your hands and head, that's all replicated in VR, which, like, to say VR is more immersive, I think this is a really good example of how that ends up being the case, uh, because everything we talked about, um, feeling bullets whoosh past you, in VR that feels, to me, more immediate. It feels in that way that, like I mentioned, being able to cut the bullets out of the air and stuff like that, that all feels so many hyper, uh, sort of so much hyperbole and so many superlatives I can launch at this. Can, can either of you guys explain better, maybe, than I can, uh, how this feels different and plays different to to Superhot, the main regular? I game? think it's 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 much more like naturalistic feeling, at least yeah. in terms of controls, in that like. I have given super hot VR to many people who d- would be baffled by kind of like a WASD control scheme. And mm-hmm. like you can play this because d- you're really like you there's there's much fewer kind of barriers between what you're doing in the game and what you're doing in real life. And yeah. so like things like ducking behind a bar and like holding your hand over your head to like shoot over it or like one that's just impossible in in super hot on you know typical systems but it also like you kind of do it instinctually here because you just feel like you are acting as you would in real life you know like when if if you want to duck and look under you know over your shoulder or something you can and you don't Mm -hmm. have to think about how to like put that through a keyboard and a mouse you just do it um and and yeah so i think i think vr vr super hot is one of the best demonstrations of it that you have both both super hot Mm -hmm. and like what virtual reality can be because people just get it you know and that's yeah. that's one of the really cool kind of like kinds of immersion that vr allows for it's it helps i think massively that it's also a very elegant demonstration of how uh, a vr system works mm. especially one you know where this is one of not a huge number of games that i've played on the psvr where i actually have to use the move controllers yeah. i've mostly stuck to games that are either literally just the headset or the headset and controller combination mm-hmm. like uh, things like astrobot and headmaster yeah. and is it tumble vr uh, little sort of mini yeah, game yeah. games yeah. like that whereas this i think it's it's very simplistic if you actually break it down like this obviously as you say there's no movement it's tracking your head to sort of duck and bob and weave and it tracks your hands but then you don't get the you don't get the movement that you have in the main game. You don't have the jumping. You don't have the the larger levels. You've literally got, I mean, this is even more like sort of a target shooting gallery where you start off, you're stood in position. Most of the time, if you look down to your left and right next to you, you've got, you know, guns on, you know, on a table next to you that you just yeah. immediately grab and, and start attacking the enemy. So it really comes down to either shooting or throwing um, other weapons at the yeah. enemies. Um, but it's it's very I think 
the movement is very fluid it responds very very well i guess that's part of the uh, you know the benefit that you get from this is this is sort of a 15 to 20 pound vr game whereas you know i played this for about two and a half hours this afternoon and then immediately jumped into a game called uh, drunken bar fight vr <laughs> you know because i was like well i've got the i've got the move controllers out well, i'm going to play this for yeah. a moment and within about two minutes that made me feel motion sick yeah. because it has it has an actual movement system where you use the the four face buttons and then the one right. in the middle on the psvr to actually move forwards and backwards and you can spin around in place and I know it's, you know, it's a ridiculous day today. It's been best part of 30 degrees in the UK. It's one of the hottest, uh, hottest days of the year and has broken all sorts of records for bank holiday days. And I'm standing here in my front room with a bloody PSVR headset on, <laughs> effectively just like shadow boxing in my underpants in front of the TV. Um, but it, the difference I noticed between the two games, apart from the movement and stuff, the, the way that Superhot manages to track your hands, the movements are all very slight and very precise. This blimmin' drunken bar fight thing, I actually felt like I was in like a mad sort of bar fight scramble, just like throwing fists around yeah. instead of you know, controlling something that had been built. You know, I really don't want to throw any shade at this other game, but you know, it's, I think I picked it up for like two pounds in a sale. It's very much one of these kind of almost experimental like goat simulator type things of, this is just going to be funny because it's a bit crap. Yeah. Whereas Superhot really feels like something that they've put a lot of time and effort and money into making it as as not uncomfortable as an yeah. experience as possible. I did have trouble uh, throwing things with the For kind sure. of appropriate yeah. level of accuracy. You know, there there are lots of different VR controllers, and maybe my Oculus ones are like harder to use than the the Vive ones in terms of this or whatever. But like, you do. There are a number of ways that the VR one makes the game easier in certain ways yep. and then other ways that mm -hmm. it makes it harder and some of the ways that it makes it harder i really like but one of them that i'm not such a fan of is it just yeah. feels less precise you know like yeah. like i can put the dot over someone with my mouse and know that i'm going to hit them and and especially when i'm throwing something in vr it kind of feels like a toss-up of like if it's going to go in the direction i want or if it's just going to go like straight down or straight up in the yeah. air or or just fall out of my hand in midair and sit there sometimes. I had all sorts of trouble with this. I actually figured it was a PlayStation VR issue, but it sounds like it's not. Um, yeah, it's, it's very different because, as you say, you put the, the crosshair over them and press a button in uh, the the other ver the original game, and it just shoots whatever you have in your hand out at full speed in that direction. And there's actually very little kind of um, effect of gravity on the, the object either. It basically goes until it hits something in terms of the small environments you're in. Um, whereas this, the number of times I tried throwing the shuriken sideways, because that made more sense to me, but I would be throwing it and it would go all sorts of other ways. I basically threw it as a, a, a Hail Mary to, to see if it hit something. It, more often than not, it hit something I wasn't aiming for. And it just happened to be lucky. And I would give up on any thrown object in this game to get my hands on a gun in VR because I just could not get my head around throwing items. Well, that's, that seems to be the push in this is just go for yeah. the guns as quickly as you can. 
Um, I think that over the course of the time that I played it, I came to the conclusion that yes, the the throwing was difficult, but I think it was more user error than anything else because yeah. I got to a level which I can't remember how far it was in. It, it felt like it was a decent way in, but it starts off, there's a knife in the air and a guy right in front mm. of you with a shotgun. And I, th- I think it was that one anyway. Uh, the second part of that, after the after that, you're forced to throw things. And it took me probably about 20 minutes of attempting to pick up this, whatever it was, a bottle on a table and actually throw it with some sort of accuracy before I kind of got the the fluid movement yeah. that you have to move your arm. And it's, it's it seemed like a very specific sort of slow, but also forceful, but, you know, very much one swift movement right. rather than, you know, sort of a punch or a, you know, sort of big overarm throw. Uh, and it took me, it took me ages before I could actually do it with any sort of consistency, getting it right. And then after that, I continued through the game and, by the time I got to the point that I tapped out, which was just after you get the mind, uh, not mind control, it's the the ability, oh, mind the mind blowing, blowing ability. Yeah, I, I don't know exactly. Yeah, what it's no, that's yeah. well, that's what it yeah, calls yeah. it in the game. But it was a few levels before that. I think you start in an office room, and the first thing that you have to do is pick up a a hole punch from a yeah, table and throw it at a staker, guy. Yeah, that's all you've got. Mm. So I did that, and I got to the point where because I spent such a long time trying to get the throwing right, I was perfect with mm. that and then i pick i pick, pick up the stapler and kind of throw it off to the right where there's two guys going down mm. the corridor and more often than not i managed to nail oh. one of the guys with the stapler without even yeah. looking so i think it was just practice makes perfect it's just getting the right yeah it, the right it um, may well be and one of our uh, our pieces of community feedback actually goes into that we'll get to that in, in a little bit but they actually say similarly and i'm absolutely open to that i did have tracking issues what particularly i was reaching towards the edges of where my playstation can detect i'm putting my hand there was times i was having to reach and kind of get close to it does do a good thing where you get vibration feedback and also visual feedback you get a striping effect over the item when you're able to pick it up so you didn't always have to actually reach out as far as the item was and often you can actually reach a bit, quite a bit further than you think you might be able to to pick up a gun or a, or a throwing item. Um, I'm absolutely open to the notion that its um, practice uh, will improve that, but it was initially just frustrating because I'd feel like I was doing it right, and sometimes the the thrown item would just fall out of my hand with no force yeah, whatsoever, the... and it was just frustrating. Um, yeah, that was by far the biggest problem I had was you just sort of drop it in yeah. midair yeah, rather than yeah. actually throw i think it's it's literally the the way that you move your arm and the time that you press the button sure. to let go of it and it's just kind of getting that yeah, perfect yeah, yeah. which like i say it took ages for me to do it uh so you mentioned the mind blown ability hot switch comes out of this which is odd because before i started playing it i thought oh hot switch would work because that's just like teleporting in a vr game um but i i get why because as you say you're you're put into a stationary position with everything you will need, at least initially, right around you, and you you can't account for where you're going to hot switch into an enemy to make sure the player is given something to use. So I get why it's not there, but it did seem odd that instead you're given this ability where you put both your hands out and make fists with them, essentially. You're pressing the triggers and the um, the top sort of move buttons and just focusing a blast on enemies. I used it when it forced me to and just didn't use it any other time. 
it felt really weird and just odd to use. I, I didn't particularly like it as a as a an ability to put into the game, to be honest. Honestly, I think they they added it as a necessity because there are situations in which you can just run out of ammo and things to throw, right, and because yeah, you maybe. can't move, like that's it. But but I agree, it's just it like it doesn't really feel uh like a part of the game. You know, yeah, it just kind yeah. of feels like a an ability that they threw in there. Yeah, and it's not comparable with the hot no, switch. It's no, not. It doesn't have the same feeling of fluidity yeah. that that does. Which, um, but yeah, like Jacob said, it kind of feels like it's a it's a way that they can make the levels more difficult without making it impossible for you to be able to That's do true. it. Yeah, I I honestly just didn't think to use it uh, after. There's a couple of levels back to back where you get a tutorial on it. I didn't think to use it until the very end, where it told me I had to essentially attack the core with it which didn't make a lot of sense versus hot switching into the core which is literally you going inside it but yeah it was just a little bit uh, of a weird one another thing that's different is the narrative so conceptually it's kind of the same where you're in this almost like what one meter square apartment in quotation marks it's very clear that this living space is literally just set up for you to live in vr um, you have a VR helmet up above you. You have three computer screens in front of you and some old kind of disused 1990-style computers in front of you. Um, and all your interaction and loading of it is done by picking up a floppy disk and putting it into the machine. So a lot of this sounds kind of similar, except um, there, there's not so much of the narrative where the game is pushing back against you and taking you over. Um you get messages on the screens when you come out, but they're they're very much just almost just like quotes thrown at you, I guess. And it becomes much more about getting you to put that helmet on to go into the game, complete some levels, then you're kicked back out again. There's another disc there. So again, it's not really clear how the new disc's getting there. Sometimes it comes out of the computer at you, but other times it's just there on the bench, um, which is kind of weird. So it changes. It scales back. I think a lot of the narrative that we saw in the in the main game, but but also fundamentally changes what's going on in some ways. I think. How did you guys feel about the narrative in this? And I guess we may as well include the ending with that, which is slightly different again. You know, I liked. This is. It's hard to talk about this. Mm. I liked the moments where they made you prove your loyalty just because it's playing with how uncomfortably real things feel in vr so mm. like the idea of like stepping off of a building is yeah. who like like i got i just got sweaty you know contemplating that idea <laughs> yeah. um and so i i like it from that perspective um i totally understand why why that would make so many people uncomfortable and i mm. i like don't want to kind of diminish th their feelings at all um mm. but i but i also just think it's interesting that that like you know i have i've had many friends try this out and it's like after a while when you're given a gun and kind of like a blank white, white space they'll just kind of as a test like point it at themselves and shoot and like it's it is a weird phenomenon that like that is what people mm. do when you give them these tools and and if there weren't so many kind of tragic real life parallels then i would feel you know wholeheartedly comfortable saying that yeah, like super hot yeah. vr is like a really fun inspection of those 
as such, you know, I still think it's fun, but I but I totally yeah. understand why people wouldn't. The story, you know, was totally nothing for me other than that. Yeah. Like it was it was just an excuse to play levels and I was fine with that. Yeah. And and they still get some of the um synchronicity between the real world and the game in that you are putting every time you reload the game, you're putting the VR helmet on to go into it. So it's still it has that um almost tangibility between what you as the player are doing and the the protagonist in the game is doing. That kind of works. Um so the very ending, um, the door next to you flies open and the little pyramid that you've been grabbing onto to transition between levels flies in and, if I'm right, hands you a gun, essentially. That's that's my memory of how it worked anyway. I only played I think, this like yeah, two something days ago. Like but, that. And, and the end is the final proving. So the difference between this and the ending of Superhot, where in Superhot you're disembodied from your real body, so it's it's clear that you're being asked to shoot your body, but you as an entity still exists. So it feels very different, I think, the ending of this, where, as you can imagine, you have a gun in your hand and you're being told to get rid of your body while you're still in it. Uh, so... I, I almost feel like I don't want to spell it out, uh, but you're essentially asked to kill yourself with a handgun. Um, that's me very much spelling it out in a very blunt way, and I apologize for that. But um, it it did it, because I knew what the narrative of the original game was. It did. It wasn't as shocking to me as maybe it would have been out of the blue. But nonetheless, it felt it felt abrupt in the way I guess it, it was intended to feel. Um, and and yeah, a, a very the sort of thing that VR is is made to make people feel, but in it almost went straight to the most excessive example of that. If that makes sense, I'm still not sure I feel about it. Clearly, obviously, I, I still haven't rectified it. But the game kind of wants it to be that way. I think. Yeah, it's it's kind of hard to comment on it, isn't it? it just I <laughs> go back to what I said before about it's just a fun little thing it's kind of just an experience. Yeah, yeah. It's just something that happens. And, you know, we've all played tons and tons of video games and I'm sure that we've all, you know, been party to far more horrific things than this. It's just when it's right in your face yeah, yeah, and, yeah. you know, it puts a gun in your hand and says, do this. And, you know, for all intents and purposes, it kind of looks and feels like how it may do in real life. It's a bit daunting and, and equally well to some people i'm sure it's just well i'm just going to do what the game tells me to so i can finish the game you know some people uh it, it will be a very ins not insignificant but it, it will not be as impactful in the way i'm describing it but yeah and, and i think you get enough hints that that's where this game is going the same as you do in in the main game so it doesn't feel necessarily out of the blue it still feels abrupt so the other thing that this game does again to aid with the immersion is it doesn't as far as i could tell does not give you an in-game menu as such. You're always presented with the computers and the discs, and then once you complete the game, you have discs to do different things. So there's a disc to go into challenge levels, or there's a disc to go to uh, some of the extra materials or whatever. So I get that that's necessary in order to create the kind of whole experience, but I, I didn't know how to pause the game while I'm playing it. And when you're playing a two-hour, essentially two-hour-long campaign not knowing how to pause without just quitting out to the dashboard feels really odd still to me, even though it serves the the way the game's presented. Um, I don't know if that's different on 
uh, Oculus Rift because I know Jacob. Um, I've mentioned that I I don't know how to pause Beat Saber when I'm playing on PlayStation VR, but very definitely there is a pause for Beat Saber on Oculus Rift. So I don't know if that's just a, a neat uh, fact of the move controllers or what, but it's a bit weird. I think there is, but it, it is just kind of like a growing pain of VR that there's not really like a designated pause button in the same way that there is on like a regular controller. Yeah, because we don't have a standardized controller between systems, uh, I guess, in that way, yeah. Um, so yeah, a, a bit of an odd one, but um, but I, I generally like the fact that you've got floppy disks there. I found it difficult to read what was on some of them because the PlayStation VR is a little low res for being able to do that, and my eyes aren't great, so um, so there's that. But uh, but yeah, I generally like that aspect of it. Um, so we have a couple of pieces of feedback on on the virtual reality specifically. So John, would you read out the first please from I Hate Numbers Twenty Three? Playing Superhot for the first time stands out as the moment that sold me on virtual reality. Every aspect, from the minimalistic props to the subtle vibration in the move controllers when you grab a gun, simply fits together. When Superhot is at its best, you lose yourself in an endless sequence of abstract violence and motion. Sure, it can get slightly tedious if you're stuck on a particular level, forcing you to repeat a few easier scenarios before giving the actual, the actual challenging part another go. The tracking can be imperfect or straight-up dysfunctional at times. Regardless, these are blemishes that practice and familiarity with the hardware's limitations can largely do away with. What one is left with is action that has been distilled down to its constituent parts. Jacob, would you read the, I think, last piece of uh, feedback we have from Superuser on the forums? I've played much of the VR game through Steam family sharing with a friend who has an Oculus Rift. It is his go-to showcase for VR along with Beat Saber and ranks as his second most played VR game. He wasn't keen on the core game, but we both agreed it's about as cool as it gets. It's evident that a lot of thought went into translating the concept to VR and it works like a charm. It's still my favorite VR game to date and for him, it's also the one that impressed him the most as a clearly VR first game that offers something that can't be replicated with traditional inputs. Finally, I have yet to play Mind Control Delete, but I have followed its progress and see that it has significantly expanded Endless Mode and polished up the core game as a whole. I will play it after it leaves early access. And, if you are wondering, Kickstarter backers got all three games for free, making it the most generous crowdfunded game since Shovel Knight. So, for time, I think we're going to quickly move through other super hot games that exist, and then uh, we'll incorporate our kind of summaries for super hot and super hot VR together at the end. Um, none of us have played any of these. I did watch some of the next game we're going to talk about very quickly Super Hot Mind Control Delete. I did not know existed until I was doing the research for this show. Uh, developed by Super Hot Team, released 7th December 2017. It's been there for a long time. It's in early access still, but was obviously uh, on the 7th of December as well. Um, what this is actually, so I played through one set of challenges, the Katana only, and kind of felt a little bit like, uh, John, you were saying, where I felt like I was running out of steam with the mechanics, because as much as the constraint of using a Katana only, I was still doing much the same things. This, to me, seems like more of what I would want from a set of challenge levels, in that you have the same set of here's two or three individual discrete levels packaged together. There's a handful of maps they use, but they kind of have certain amount of differences when they put you in one in terms of uh, where enemies are, number of enemies, the weapons enemies have. That kind of changes each time. And I think item placement. 
Um, but what they do is they give you occasionally a shop that you can go to and you get to take one upgrade from a set of mods it has available. So, for example, one HP gives you an extra hit point, so you can be hit twice, or if you take it again, three times, and so on. Um, and f and that doesn't regenerate each level. It lasts until you die and resets your progress. Or the other option is full heal, so if you've got three hit points but only one left, it'll replenish them. But then also different missions, so different a mission may be a collection of five levels, Different missions will put different stipulations, so a ninja will need to be healed whenever they go to a shop, but can summon a katana, and their jump is a slow-mo jump. So it, it's playing with the mechanics in different ways than just the challenges that are in the main game or in in VR do. So uh, it seems really cool. I haven't had a chance to play it, but this is literally me finding out about it this week. So um very quickly as well, announced in May 2018, so last year, um, Superhot JP is the codename for this. A different developer, Game Tomo, is making a PS4 and PC planned Japan only, at least at first. Superhot that's set in a Japanese setting, which sounds very much like it's weapons and environments that are more uh, traditionally Japanese themed, which sounds... To me, like it's just an aesthetic thing, but who knows what that will turn out to be. Just a really weird thing to have a, a offshoot reminds me of um Chinese room working on um amnesia machine for pigs, for example, that kind of situation maybe. Um and last but not least, I haven't tried it, didn't know it existed till this week. Super hot the card game. Um Manu Manuel Correa, um Apologies for pronunciation there. Who also made Agent Decker is working with Superhot Team and Grey Fox Games Publisher, um, and they put out a Kickstarter in late 2017, um, which was was successful, and then went into general release uh, in May 2018. A card game based on Superhot, which sounds like obviously it's uh, leaning into the turn-based aspect of things, um, which seems really cool. And all of that was just to say that. From a prototype in a seven-day game jam, there have been or will be four video games, one card game produced from that one sort of uh, prototype. Um, and also was announced uh, just last week as of time of recording, um, the Superhot Indie Development Fund. So the developers have had sufficient success that they, uh, in their own words, want to pay it forward um, and uh, allow small, often sort of single individual uh people working on a game so uh, single dev teams um to to help fund their games um and uh james bachelor game industry biz uh, uh, is the article i went to for that but yeah they're they're putting some of the money they've made back into indie development which is i think really cool um so yeah hoping to see more from that uh, and just a heck of a legacy from from one uh, game jam project that and while undoubtedly inspired, could have, like so many Game Jam projects, kind of not necessarily uh, led to, to this much uh, to come from it. So so we have heard from uh, community uh, feedback from the forums, uh, but what we haven't yet heard is your uh, three-word reviews. So on day of recording, uh, the Twitter account, at Kanan Rinse, will put out a call for 
for you to review the game that we're covering, in this case Superhot, in exactly no fewer and no more than three words. And we have had some of those. Jacob, would you kick us off with the first, please? Sure. So Toon Skatoon says, tell your friends. Uh, K Sub Zero says, one trick pony. Bearfish Pie says, stop, katana time. Hey and me, Ben says, cool red men. Uh, and I thought this made a nice pairing. AJ Fabisiak says, killing red guys. Andrew Elmore says, John Wick sent me later. Our own Darren Gargett says, VR game changer. Kaiji Dating Sim, who says, most innovative shooter. And finally, Left Behind Club says, super hot, super hot, super hot. Excellent. The last two were kind of givens. I think someone was always going to give those, but we only got one of each. So you are still unique and beautiful people. So there we go. Race through those last games just because none of us have played them. But in terms of VR and the original Super Hot, our summaries, I wonder if, John, you would like to kick us off, please. I think I've probably covered a huge amount of this throughout the course of the podcast already. Um, I I had a very good fun time playing Super Hot and especially Super Hot VR. Uh, I, w- I know that I got to a point where I said I'd started to lose steam with it and that's not incorrect but it's also partly due to the fact that i've spent a lot of time over the last couple of days just Mm. going through and i played a couple of those challenges back to back and it what it's going to come down to a point where you know in six weeks i'll boot up super (laughs) hot for an hour and i'll play the next set of challenge levels or have a dick about on the endless mode it feels like one of those games where because there's not you know millions of other comparable games out there it's something that I can dip back into easily to get a, you know, to get a fix of this very specific thing. And especially with the VR, I will absolutely play yeah. the the VR game repeatedly. And I, I, I cop to the fact that I didn't quite get all the way through it, mainly due to how bad the weather's yeah, been yeah, yeah. since we talked <laughs> about doing this podcast. But I, I very much want to go back to that and and finish off playing that. Um, yeah, I, I've basically just had a good fun time with this and. As mentioned before, it's been free on various platforms. It's currently free on Game Pass. It will probably turn up on PS Plus at some point if it hasn't already. The VR game will quite likely turn up on on free systems at some point. So if you see it and you're interested in it, give it a go. Excellent. Thank you very much. Um, I guess I'm likely to be slightly more positive than you, Jacob, so maybe I'll be cheeky and uh earmark myself for the final summary so would you like to go next please yeah you know i think i think that i've basically covered this i don't think i don't think super hop is super hop i don't think super hot (laughs) is a particularly uh deep game narratively but i think that the the thing that it has that just one sentence description of time only moves when you move is is certainly interesting enough to to build one game around and and apparently interesting enough to build several and honestly i would i would be totally down for other developers just like taking this idea and doing something different with it in the same way that you know like there are many different versions of an XCOM style game or you know any other you know souls like um so yeah it's it's simple but it's fun as all get out and and honestly i will just continue to show people 
the VR demonstration because I think it's about the seven best minutes of VR that you can show off for a new person. I'll take your lead from that. I would love to see other developers take, not necessarily even under the super hot uh, umbrella, although if if that's going to be the case, that's great too. But just take this concept um, in the same way that I think of Transistor as turn-based bastion because there's similarities between those two games obviously by the same developer but you know i I could see someone like a super giant taking in the same way that they've done with uh, pyre and transistor taking a core concept and and putting their spin on it i think that could be really cool the story did appeal to me in a way that uh, i i was surprised quite honestly to to read and, and to hear that there were people who kind of felt they had to get through the first two hours uh, I almost felt the opposite of that, where the the story for me was was fantastic. It came together as this really, I've said it before, this cohesive whole where the, from the UI to the gameplay to the story to to its themes and its settings, it all worked really well within the constraints that clearly the developers had to work, but they stuck so solidly to that core mechanic, that core thesis of time moves when you move that it just worked so well and uh for, for me at, at least uh all of it came together in a way that i i really enjoyed i was disappointed that i didn't feel more thrilled when i played through the katana only challenges about going and exploring more of those um but i it's certainly having researched a little bit about um mind control delete that makes me think there's something there and i'm certainly looking forward to what Superhot team do next either within Superhot or or without and I guess I'll kind of leave it on uh, something that I heard Sean Bell of the computer game show say about Superhot which is once you've played Superhot in VR it kind of feels like that's the way you want to play it always I certainly feel that way and my only disappointment with that is that the story didn't shine through more in the in the VR but if I'm going back to this game and it's not say through mind control delete it's going to be the VR. I played through that campaign and didn't feel remotely done with that. There's technical limitations, but the concept of the game and the aesthetic they put around it just shines through for me. I I really adored this, I have to say. Yeah, that's my summary. It remains for me, only after our summaries, uh, I'm James, to thank John and Jacob for joining me, um, as well as all of our correspondents on forum and on Twitter. Um, do head to our website to, to get involved with future shows when they come up future issues and uh, and also plenty of other discussions to be had on our forums too uh, our editor who also needs thanking this issue is jay and i'd also as always like to thank every single one of you for listening if you've enjoyed the podcast please subscribe rate review or best of all head to patreon.com slash rinse you can get every cane rinse podcast one week earlier and usually extended beyond two hours as well as an exclusive monthly podcast Next time, in issue 385, we try to work out how a 2017 game from Arcane Arcane Studios and Bethesda Softworks relates to a game released over a decade earlier by Human Head Studios and 2K Games. After we manage that, I just pray we still have time to escape this damned space station. Now where'd I put my mug? I'm <laughs> sorry.